You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just on uh, 8.07 Central African time. And this one time, a five and six cases of my way, the hockey, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh on your program this evening, Medical Files and Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Joining us this evening is uh, a professor, yeah, he's a professor, he's a doctor, and he's an ophthalmologist, uh, Dr. Seda Titoy. And Alhamdulillah, I can tell you someone uh, that uh, I missed, I really missed the him. Uh, Go. I can't recall the data, but I did uh, try and get him, and he's so busy. But he made the time, and uh, let's welcome him and welcome you, the listeners of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Al Sunnah. Well, Jama'ah, were they hearty? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me how you're doing this uh, fine evening, uh, Doctor. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm fine. And yourself? Alhamdulillah, doing very well. I'm so happy to hear your voice and I'm sure my cousin, Dr. Zubair Dular Khan, also from your part of the world, very happy. And the whole of Cape Town, I know uh, there's a, a Mufti from Scarfskraw listening to you this evening and also uh, many of my friends are from Woodstock and uh, some of them are also in Athlone and uh, not forgetting uh, Booby Solomon is listening to the program this evening. So you've got a big... Uh, following there in your part of the world, all tuned in on Marcus Sahaba and uh, Dr. Uh, perhaps to start off, and uh, you know, I, I don't know how often you asked her this question what is the difference between an ophthalmologist, an optometrist, and an optician? Uh, but just for or the you know, uh, for conscientizing our listeners, uh, how do you uh, you know explain that to them, uh, doctor? Okay, so if we start with an optometrist. The uh, optometrist is the person who uh, usually does the prescription of glasses or contact lenses. So they would test uh, somebody's eyes and see if there's a, a, what we call a refractive error. In other words, do they need glasses or not? And they will then do the testing and the prescription. Uh, the optician is the person that usually makes the glasses. And uh, the ophthalmologist is the one that deals with the uh, disease of the eye uh, and specifically surgery on the eye. So, yeah, in a nutshell, I would uh, probably say that's the difference between the three. Absolutely brilliant, and I like that you put us all in the picture, and we've got it. Now, I'm looking at you, Doc, but I can't see. You haven't got your glasses on, so you don't wear glasses, uh, Doc. No, I don't wear glasses, thankfully. Hey, you are a strong man. Hey, I tell you, you know, doctor, I'll tell you something about myself. I was so stubborn when I got into broadcasting and, you know, I said, no, no, no glasses for me. And I used to do, uh, you know, some uh, shows. And I noticed sometimes I'll try and read a script, but I used to make uh, hundreds of mistakes. And uh, my wife told me, listen, you need reading glasses. I said, hey, I don't need it. And many years later, I discovered it. That was my big problem. That I was so stubborn that I didn't want to get my glasses. And now when I got it, you know, the confidence is there. I can see much clearer. That is for reading. I must have it. Otherwise, I cannot read or I may embarrass myself. So what would you tell to the, someone that's stubborn and they, you know, they know they have a little niggling problem, but if they leave it, will it be exacerbated, doctor? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually in the same position that you were. <laughs> I'm uh, resisting getting those reading glasses. So usually when one gets older, um, usually over the age of 40. But an average person who can see clearly in the distance, when you get to the age of 40, 45, you start to need reading glasses. And the reason for that is that the lens inside the eye, as one gets older, loses its ability to focus. 
So from the age of 20 onwards already, you start losing the ability to focus slowly but surely. So when you get to the age of around 40, 45, you lose so much focus that you can't see the things that are quite near to you. Because when you read, you, that's the, the most focusing that your lens has to do is when you're reading and something is up close. So when you get to that age, the lens loses so much ability to focus that you need a pair of reading glasses to help you to focus. So you, we usually start with uh, a plus one. These can be bought at the pharmacy or at any store like clicks. People just need to take a book with them and then fit on the glasses. We start with plus one and it goes up to about plus three is the maximum that is usually um, available. So and it usually goes up in half or a quarter up to so one. The next one is 125 or then 1.5. So when we get to that age, we, we find that if you lose the ability to focus, then you need a pair of reading glasses. So it's a natural part of the aging process, and most people go through that, except people who are short-sighted. People who are short-sighted who can't see in the distance without, uh, without glasses, they can usually read without glasses. When you have a refractive error in the negatives, so something like a minus three, somebody who's minus three or more will always be able to read up close without glasses. So this is called, the, the medical term for this condition is presbyopia, uh, which means um, the, the loss of focusing ability of the lens and the need for somebody to wear reading glasses when they get to the, to the sort of middle age. I tell you, Doc, you read my mind there, and I'll, maybe I'll give you a tip. I've got plus two now. Hey, it's, it does a job. Everything is crystal clear. Even uh, if I've got candlelight, hey, I can a cake more in top. A cake buy more. Yeah, I've, I've got a plus one, but I only like really use it for now. I need to see the fine print. Most uh, the bigger print I can still manage without the glasses. So I'm also resisting, you know, getting those. Uh, as one gets older, they say it's uh, in Cape Town. They have an expression: it's driller and puller. That means it's time for the spectacles and the tablets as you get older. Yeah, it's time. Lekker, and uh, yeah, and puller, and had a whole, whole wife and had a cook sisters die. And uh, especially in the cold, eh? snook and chips there. Uh, you know, whenever I come to Cape Town, I must have that, uh, Doc. I must have my snook there, otherwise I'm not happy. Looking at a question that has come through here, uh, it's uh, Gora Mia. He says, uh, I want to know, uh, Shafaat, from uh, uh, Dr. And Nahib uh, Ditoy, uh, he's actually a professor too, Goramia, uh, uh, lecturing at the university. Uh, what at, a, at what age should one visit an ophthalmologist? A good question there. Yeah, yeah. So it's usually recommended. Well, not for everybody, but uh, usually over the age of forty, um, it's recommended that you have your eyes tested. So this usually will be done by an ophthalmologist firstly. So over the age of 40, chain optometrists, they will do a test on the eyes, test the vision. They also test the pressure inside the eye, and they also do, uh, look at the retina to see if there are any signs of, uh, of uh, degeneration or aging um, or other conditions, especially in diabetics as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's a good idea to, when you get over the age of 40, to see an optometrist and have the eyes tested. If you have a family of conditions like glaucoma, um, then it's definitely advisable to see the optometrist. If the optometrist picks up any uh, problems with the pressure or with the uh, examination of the retina or the optic nerve, then they will usually refer the patient to an ophthalmologist. So that's usually the way screening gets done. And uh, like I mentioned, especially diabetics, anybody who's been diabetic, uh, who's been diagnosed with diabetes, should have their eyes tested. 
And if they uh, they diabetic for more than 10 years, then definitely they should have the eyes tested as well. I tell you, listen, can you feel that cool, calm, and collected doctor from uh, Cape Town? Eh? He's adding so much of baraka on uh, the platforms of uh, Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahlul Sunnah, or Jama'ah. I'm really enjoying him. I can feel his warmth, his muhabba uh, here. Uh, this question from uh, Shayina. She says, uh, when should a child get their eyes examined? Well, that's another good question. Children, do they need their eyes examined? I mean, you look at the child's eye, it looks uh, naughty, it looks uh, inquisitive, and it's there. It's focused all the time, Doc. Yeah, so children generally don't have to have the eyes examined, except if uh, the parent or the, uh, the caregiver notices some abnormalities. So in younger children, the one thing to be to watch out for is the development of a squint. So whether the, the, the eyes are not aligned, the, the focusing point of the eyes are not aligned, so the two eyes are not focused on the same point anymore. And uh, this is usually uh, something that's noticed in younger children, and usually the mother or the caregiver will notice it, and this needs to be seen, especially if the child, once the child gets over the age of three months, there shouldn't be any squint visible anymore. Sometimes before the age of three months, the eyes can be misaligned, but that's part of the development process. But definitely over the age of three months, if there's any squint or turning of the eye notice, then that should be taken to, that should probably be seen by an ophthalmologist. Um, other children, other times that kids need to be seen are um, when, for example, when they get to school going age and uh, they not seeing the, the board in the class properly or they need to move to the front of the class to see the board, this can also be a sign of being short-sighted and needing glasses. Um, and the other important things I think are you know, the drooping of the upper lip. Sometimes in kids, the upper lip can be droopy and it can hang over the uh, lower down compared to the other side. And then the other condition is where there's where the cornea, which is like the, to imagine that the, a, a watch has a glass a face over it. You can't actually see the glass face, but you can only see the, the, the face of the watch itself. So over the watch is this glass face, which is equivalent to what the cornea is on the eye. It's a clear, transparent structure. So when the, the, uh, you can't see the colored part of the eye anymore because there's opacity of the cornea. The cornea starts turning white or opaque. In, those, in that situation, also the child should be taken to an ophthalmologist. I think those are the probably the most important conditions to look out for in children. Yeah, I know, Doctor. I'm thinking aloud whilst you're talking. How many parents uh, get into that uh, denial period? You know, they ch they can see symptoms that the child has got this problem, but they say, no, they'll get over it, they'll get over it. Uh, you know, think, how how do you motivate them? Yeah, it's very important. Uh, you see, in kids, uh, when uh, any of the eye problems that I've mentioned now, these things need to be seen to fairly, uh, not so urgently, but it can't be dwelled on. Because children, the, 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 the visual system is very um, plastic and molds uh, very quickly. So before the age of six to eight years, the visual system hasn't developed fully. And if there's any uh, impediments in the system, whether the refractive error or squint, the opacity of the cornea, then that uh, can cause permanent damage to the eyes. And even if it's corrected afterwards, it may be possible that the vision will never come back to normal again. Um, these are the causes of what we sometimes refer to as a lazy eye. So it's very important to have, if there's any abnormality that I've mentioned earlier, uh, if these abnormalities develop in the, in, the in the eye of a child, that the parent should 
take the child to, to be seen to fairly soon and not dwell on it and not delay because this can cause permanent loss of vision which can never be restored afterwards. There, doctor, uh, giving us uh, sane and good advice. Uh, uh, Farnaz uh, Sheikh says, Assalamu alaikum, enjoying the conversation this evening. How is high resolution scans of the back of the eye done? Uh, brilliant question. I don't know. Doctor knows. Doc, tell us. <laughs> yeah, so in recent years, they've developed um, what is called ocular coherence tomography or an OCT scan. Um, so this uses uh, laser interferometry and um, scanning of the eye, which then can actually be projected and printed out as an image which shows you all the different layers of the retina of the eye. So this has been a, a development over the past maybe 10 to 15 years, which was not uh, part of uh, ophthalmology before, and it's been a, a great asset and uh, helped, uh, helped, helped a lot with diagnosing problems that weren't uh, that easy to diagnose in the past. So most optometrists and ophthalmologists will have an OCT scanner in the rooms, and it's sort of become part of routine examination now, especially if you find some loss of vision which you can't explain with a clinical examination, then the scanner often picks up swelling and problems in the retina that are not so easily visible clinically. Looking at this question, it's from Habiba. I, I, I know that name is definitely from your part of the world. Uh, don't get anywhere. Habiba has to be from Cape Town. And uh, Habiba says, uh, do ophthalmologists uh, do surgery on children two years and younger? Very sensitive question, Doc. Yeah, we do. Um, so, like I said, because exactly because of the problem I described earlier, if you don't sort the problem out, uh, fairly soon, they can develop uh, permanent loss of vision, which can't be restored. So there are certain conditions like um, cataracts can develop or congenital cataracts. Kids can be born with cataracts or they can have some sort of infections that can cause cataracts. And uh, so those kind of things we would operate on in young children, even under the age of one sometimes. And uh, then the other condition that requires surgery at a young age will sometimes... Uh, is congenital glaucoma, where there are pressure problems which which cause the eye to actually expand and become bigger than the other eye because the eyeballs are stretchy in children. When eye pressure develops in an adult, um, the eyeball doesn't stretch, but in kids it does, so it needs to be corrected also fairly early. And then the other condition that springs to mind that requires surgery in children under the, under the age of two are sometimes tumors that are also... Um, developed from embryonic life and can be present at a very young age. So these are the main conditions that require surgery under the age of two. So it is something that is done. And it's not common, but um, when it does happen, uh, it does require urgent surgery. Yeah, doctor, how often do you do, you do uh, surgeries like this? Okay, so pediatric ophthalmology is not really my field. But um, but these kind of surgeries at our we have the children's hospital Red Cross Children's Hospital where we deal we have an eye department or eye division in the uh, pediatric surgery department and these kinds of operations are done on a weekly basis. Um, yeah, I mean we have um, probably about three theatre lists a week and we do, and on every week we're doing squints, cataracts and uh, glaucoma procedures on young children. Not always under the age of two, but uh, um, yeah, it's 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 been done all the time. Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah for that, uh, Doctor. Looking at the Sister Mishka, she said, 
Assalamu alaikum. Why would an ophthalmologist order blood work? Uh, uh, why why would you order it, Doc? Okay, so there are obviously certain conditions where there are systemic illnesses that can manifest in the eye. So one of these, for example, would be diabetes. It's a systemic disease, but it has um, causes damages, damage to the retina and other parts of the eye. So in that situation, you'd want to do order, uh, for example, a blood or a glucose test. Sometimes the patient hasn't been diagnosed as being diabetic as yet. Um, you would also want to check the, the, the glucose control by requesting an HbA1c. And then also in conditions like uveitis, um, which is inflammation in the eyeball, this, can be, this inflammation can also be caused by um, systemic uh, inflammatory conditions. So we order blood testing to test for those conditions. Um, other conditions that can cause problems are thyroid uh, disease, for example, overactivity of the thyroid gland. In, in, in that situation, the patient presents with certain specific signs which make us suspect that there's a problem with the thyroid. And in that situation, we'd also order um, the thyroid blood test to check if the thyroid gland is overactive. So those are just a few of the examples where we would actually request, request blood tests to diagnose conditions which which are manifesting in with certain signs in the eye. Uh, looking at a question here, yeah, a very interesting one indeed. It's uh, from Sephora, and she says, how is a consultation done with a deaf patient? This is an absolutely brilliant question, doctor. I'm all ears. With a deaf patient? Uh, how do you do a consultation with a deaf patient? You know, they're coming to do an eye. So how do you, you know, consult with them? How, how do you, uh, you know, check them out? And isn't yeah, that can just repeat what uh, what kind of uh, patient? How, how is a consultation done with a deaf D E A F patient? D E A F. Yeah, obviously you need somebody with that can sign that can do sign language. So if the patient uh, comes for consultation, there'll have to be somebody accompanying them uh, that can translate the sign language for, for the for the doctor. Otherwise, unless the doctor himself can do sign language. The consultation won't be possible without somebody that can interpret the sign language. I tell you, Doc, that's why I was stunned, and you were stunned too. So uh, I get the truth that you, you haven't uh, consulted with a deaf patient yet. Um, I have, but like I said, there has to be somebody with it that's signing. So the, the, sign, the person that the sign language would interpret between the doctor and the patient. So you would ask a question, they would sign it, and the, the, the patient would sign back, and then the interpreter would tell you what the patient is saying. Yeah, ekpastano, ekpastano, no. Thank you, Doc. And uh, you put it all into perspective. Uh, this question says, I suffer from severe bouts of eye pains once every few months. It's intense at night and dissipates in the morning. Uh, what could my problem be, Doc? I'm afraid to go and check it out. <laughs> Doc? Oh, that's that sounds like something that needs to be checked out. Um, he was asking that question, should I have the eye checked out? Because there are a few causes of pain, and uh, the most important one to exclude is eye pressure in the eye. So pressure in the eye usually has been found, initially it was called to be early, highest in the early hours of the morning, but uh, there's actually been, there have actually been studies done in sleep laboratories where patients are actually asleep and patients have been checked over a 24-hour period. And it's been discovered that the eye pressure is actually at night when sleeping. So if the the um, person and eye pressure can cause pain in the eye, 
So if the patient is experiencing, experiencing pain at night, it's very possible that the pressure could be up. I mean, there are other causes, uh, neurological causes as well. Migraine, for example, can also be associated with pain in the eye, but usually there would be a headache or some other symptoms as well. If it's just pain in the eye and it's developing at night, I'd say the person definitely needs to have the eye checked out to make sure the pressure isn't going up. Well, you heard that, brother, Anonymous. You better go and have it all checked out. Uh, B. Raja says, uh, we know animals see in black and white. Are there instances where human beings uh, lose color vision? Good question, there, Doc. Yeah. Yes, there, are, there definitely are conditions where people lose color vision. These can be congenital conditions where people are born with it, and this is especially we know in males with this red-green color blindness. Um, so, yeah, so, they, so that's something that can, uh, somebody can actually be born with, but it's only picked up later on in life. And then there are certain conditions which damage the optic nerve, which cause the person to also lose um, red, green, and uh, blue, yellow um, color, the, the optic nerve and the macula, which is the central part of the retina. So the, the red, green, and blue, yellow color uh, um, uh, vision can be affected by that, and everything becomes like a dull gray kind of thing. So, yes, um, with certain congenital and certain inflammatory conditions, color vision can be lost. I tell you, this evening is being, uh, you know, a brilliant uh, consultation coming through. Lovely questions, and you're on the ball, uh, Doc, you know, you're just uh, answering them. And how's the lecturing going? Uh, you know, are you doing it by, uh, by Zoom? Are you going to the university and lecturing, yeah. Doc? Yeah, so most things are, we, with, uh, when we came out of the second wave, we were going back to in-person talks and lectures, but now for the third wave, we're back to online Zoom and Microsoft Teams meetings. So most of the meetings take place and most of the lectures take place via Zoom or Teams um, at the moment. While the doctor zooms into his lectures there, let us zoom into the marketplace and inshallah we will continue after that. You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Yes, sir, the program is uh, Medical Files in consultation with uh, Professor Dr. Nareeb uh, Doi, who is an ophthalmologist and alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, having a brilliant uh, consultation with him. And uh, some beautiful questions coming through. Uh, doctor, this one is from uh, Mayroon. And she says, why would an ophthalmologist order an MRI, doctor? Yeah, so... There are certain um, conditions which can affect the optic nerve um, and the brain at the same time. So the optic nerve, which is the nerve that we used to see with, is an extension of the brain. It's directly connected to the brain. And uh, when there are conditions that affect the nerve, which cause inflammation, sometimes we need to scan the brain to see if there are any similar conditions inside the brain as well. Um, there are also certain tumors which can affect the nerve or affect the eye. Um, where it can be extended into the brain. So in those situations, and particularly with a condition called multiple sclerosis, which people may have heard of, we would put an MRI to look for these um, specific lesions in the brain which will give us the diagnosis. Looking at Suleiman's question this evening, he says, uh, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Brother Shafa'at and uh, Dr. Nahib. Really enjoying your show, and Allah bless both of you. Jazakallah khair for that. He says, what is the meaning of a 2020 vision, doctor? Because okay, the 2020 vision is normal vision. Um, the way vision is measured is usually in fractions. 
2020 means 20 uh, person is seeing at 20 feet, but they should be seeing at a distance of 20 feet. If you translate that into meters, it comes out as six meters over six. So 2020, which is equivalent to six over six, which is equivalent to 100 percent, is how you would um, measure vision. Um, so yeah, so 2020 is also a term which was used to um, a specific program which the World Health Organization was working on to try to eradicate blindness by the year 2020. So there are many different implications of 2020, but mostly it means normal vision, which is 20, uh, seeing at 20 feet what you should be seeing at 20 feet. Yeah, many DAO organizations say, hey, vision 2020. 2020 is gone, people. And Doc says six by six. Doc, do you play cricket and how many sixes did you hit in one over? <laughs> no, I don't really play cricket. No. If I did play, I was more of a bowler than a batsman, so no sixes. Hey, and then how many people hit you for sixes, uh, Doc? Be honest, in one over. <laughs> no, and there's no. one guy that hit you for, I'll tell you, for four no. sixes. Tell us who he was. No, uh, maybe when I did play cricket, it was indoors. So I don't think there are any sixes <laughs> on the indoors because you got the Messi. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you bowled me a googly there. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't read you. Okay, doctor got me with those things. A bowler, he said, no, indoor cricket. I know. I, you know, I, I remember, Doc, I was playing uh, school cricket once, and I hit this guy for five sixes in one over. He refused to bowl the six ball, uh, six ball to me, Doc. He put it down. He said, I'm not bowling to this guy, and he didn't bowl it. And I don't know. I missed out on history many years ago. I was still um, 17, I think, uh, playing cricket. Okay, let's move on, Doc. And I, I'm definitely, when I'm coming to Cape Town, we're going to go and play some uh, indoor cricket. I want to see how we, yeah. we, we play. We're going to have some fun together, inshallah. Yeah, welcome. Okay, uh, definitely, Doc. Uh, this question says it's on Fatima. She says, uh, what does optic neuropathy uh, look like? Hey, I'm interested. Optic neuropathy look like? Does it have a look, okay. Doc? No, it's optic neuropathy basically refers to a group of conditions where the optic nerve is affected. So you can't really say it has a specific appearance because um, there are lots of different conditions that can affect the optic nerve and each of them, or, uh, I mean, when you look at the optic nerve, it will have a, a different appearance. But even one appearance for optic neuropathy is a group of conditions which can have different appearances. For example, the nerve can appear swollen, it can be bleeding or hemorrhaging on the nerve. The nerve can appear pale or, or atrophic. Um, yeah, so there's different appearances, uh, and they can all be called optic neuropathy. Okay, we've got the vision there. And how come, uh, this question says, uh, Munira says, how come when I narrow my eyes, I can see objects more clearer? Hey, okay. I think, you know, we, we try and do this, Doc, when there's a mosaic picture yeah. or something. And, you know, when yeah, you so narrow your eyes or you make it, you know, what yeah, I'm talking so about, you can see the, that, the, the person's face. Yeah. Uh, so no comments, Doc? Yes, that's a sign of refractive error. So narrowing the eyes actually what was the original um, term, uh, well, the original term for narrowing the eyes was called squinting. So nowadays squinting means when one eye turns in one direction or different to the other eye, but the original squinting means narrowing of the eyes. So people who do that when they have a refractive error, so they can't see properly, they actually need glasses. So in order to overcome the need for glasses, narrowing of the eyes actually helps because it, it, it narrows down the points with the amount of light entering the eye so that the, the amount of light entering the eye focuses on the retina automatically without having to 
go through a refractive process. So it's a sign that somebody needs glasses usually. And um, yeah, and it does work. It does actually improve the vision when you when you narrow the eyes in that way. Well, got a tip there, people. But remember, you must go and get your glasses because don't keep on making eyes narrow, narrow. Say, hey, what's wrong with this man here? But anyway, <laughs> you, you, you need to go and get those glasses. Fawad says, uh, do ophthalmologists that detect a brain tu a tumor? I'm sure you do, Doc. Yeah, yes, yes. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, the patient, a person with a brain tumor can actually first begin with eye signs, problems with the eyes which when we see the, the, the group of signs put them together, we suspect the patient may have a brain tumor, and then we'd order a scan to confirm it. So definitely um, the first sign of tumor in the brain may be uh, may present for the eyes. I tell you, Doc, you're really, you know, you're on a flow. I'm enjoying the flow of the program. Really beautiful indeed. Uh, Ashraf says, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, how can I protect my optic nerve? How can Ashraf... Uh, uh, you know, uh, protective optic nerve, uh, doctor? Well, um, protecting the optic nerve, uh, that's a bit of a strange question, and you think. Um, so, the optic nerve is basically a collection of all the fibers from the retina. So, protecting the optic nerve would include protecting the retina. So, the thing that, that can commonly be done is, uh, for example, never look into the sun. That's a very bad idea to look into the sun. Sometimes when they things like eclipses and people try to look at it directly, they should never look directly into the sun because this can cause damage to the retina, which will result in damage to the nerve. Um, also, um, if you have a family, as mentioned earlier, of glaucoma, which is a condition where pressure actually damages the nerve, then have your eyes tested well, have your pressure checked when you reach the age of about 40. Um, in this way, you also protect the nerve or prevent damage to the nerve, which could develop. Um, and then when one gets older, there's sometimes conditions that can cause degeneration of the retina, which will also result in optic nerve damage. Um, so if you have a family history of uh, age-related macular degeneration, that's the name of the condition, then it's a good idea to take certain vitamins which are which protect the retina and have been shown in studies to protect the retina. Um, the specific vitamin which was developed is called Ocuvite, but uh, this uh, vitamin contains minerals like magnesium and zinc and other uh, um, and other uh, things which we can actually get from a healthy diet. So if you eat um, lots of leafy and green vegetables, this can also help to protect the eyes. So, yeah, I'd say those are the general things that somebody can do to protect their retina and the optic nerve. Which are going out in the sun every day, it's probably a good idea to wear protective sunglasses if you spend a lot of time in the sun. Um, yeah, I'd say, in a nutshell, that's probably what you can do as a, as a as gentle precaution. I tell you, Doc, you did it so easily, and you said, no, it's a, I, I, immediately when I read that, I, I just said, dim the lights. And then you took over. Brilliant indeed. You see, you see great minds think alike. Ah, you're a genius. You, you, you're good, Doc. You're brilliant. Uh, Sakina says, uh, what are the consequences of tear evaporation? Yeah, so tear evaporation causes dryness of the surface of the eye. It's a common problem. Um, so people who spend a lot of time outdoors in the sun, it can happen in that situation can also happen when it's very windy and dry conditions, the surface of the eye can dry. So the, the tear form actually has three different layers. 
Um, the first layer is a, is a mucus-type layer, which, which allows the actual tears to stick to the surface of the eye, which is the cornea. The second layer is actually the aqueous layer or the liquid layer, which is, which is produced by the tear glands themselves. And then the last layer is a fatty layer, which is made from the glands in the eyelid. So this layer actually protects the, the, the liquid layer from evaporating. So if you have deficiency of any of those layers, it can cause dryness of the surface of the eye. So when the surface of the eye becomes dry, it becomes irritated, the eyes can become red. The eyeball can, well, the eyes can feel like it's sandy or gritty and that there's something in the eye. Some people complain of feeling like the stones in the eyes all the time. And then eventually it can actually start uh, corroding the surface of the eye and causing the vision to become blurred. So it's a, it's a fairly common problem, um, but when it becomes severe, it can lead to actual structural damage of the eyeball. So it's a, it's a good idea to to get tear supplements or replacements if, if somebody's suffering from dry eyes. Looking at a question from Asif Jay, he says, Assalamu alaikum, Chef and Dr. Nahib. I'm really enjoying both of you. Chef, where did you find this gem? Hey, I found him through my cousin, Dr. Zubair Zular Khan. Zubair, if you're listening, thank you very much for giving me Professor, uh, you know, the Dr. Nahib Ditoy. He's really, I'm enjoying him. I'm really enjoying him. The listeners are also enjoying him. And Asif's question to you, Doctor, is what illness illnesses can be seen in an eye? That's a, a very good question. You know, you just look into the eye and you can see some, eh? A lot of things not right with the patient. What are what illnesses yeah, can you see in, in the eye, Doctor? That's, that's really true. You can actually pick up lots of things from examining the eye. Um, I mean, there's a long list. I can't actually get, take you through the whole list, but the, the common thing is, well, for one, uh, diabetes. Um, somebody can actually be diagnosed for the first time. They may not know that they have diabetes, but by certain changes that occur in the eye or in the retina, the diagnosis can actually be suspected and then confirmed with the blood test. Um, there are lots of other inflammatory conditions, uh, different types of arthritis that can manifest in the eye and actually be the first manifestation of that of that disease. As I mentioned, thyroid problems earlier on as well. Um, so the, the cholesterol, we can uh, diagnose the high cholesterol by looking at the patient's cornea and seeing this white ring on the outside of the cornea. There are lots of other uh, metabolic conditions where color of the eye can change and the diagnosis can be made on the change of the color of the eye or suspect the, the, the certain condition can be suspected from the change in the color of the eye. Um, now, the list is cataracts, for example, can be caused not only by aging, but also by different metabolic conditions and metabolic problems. So there's actually, uh, you can write pages about uh, about different conditions that can be diagnosed or suspected from looking at the eye and just examining the eye. Then you can even make out uh, if that person is a substance abuser or an addict just by looking to yeah. the eye and you get to know, yeah, you've got a problem. You are an, uh, an addict or you have an addiction, uh, doctor. Yes, that's true. We can. There are certain, depending on the type of addiction, I mean, we've seen patients with, uh, present with infections in their retina because of certain substance abuse that is taking place. And, uh, yeah, they, they, that's definitely true as well. We can go through a list, but I'm really enjoying you, Doctor. Sarfaraz says, Assalamu alaikum. I'm uh, enjoying the program, and especially when you spoke about blind people. What do blind people see, uh, Dr. Nagib? Uh, you know, in the blindness, what do they see, Doc? 
Okay, so blindness depends on you, you, what your definition of blindness is. So some people, um, well, we can qualify the blindness and say complete blindness. If somebody's completely blind, they can't see anything at all. So they can't see light and dark or anything like that. Just everything is totally black. So that's complete blindness. But the World Health Organization has divided vision into three different categories. The first category is normal or near normal vision. The next category is uh, visual impairment. And the last category is blindness. And the, vision, the World Health Organization uh, defines blindness as a vision of what we call counting fingers in the better eye. So in other words, the person can pull your whole fingers up in front of them. They can still count and tell you how many fingers they are. But that's the extent of their vision. And that in itself is regarded by the World Health Organization as being blind. So sometimes blind people, uh, people who are regarded as blind, can still see shapes and forms and may be able to get around in their own homes or in places that they're familiar with. But when they go outside the, the, the familiar environment, it becomes difficult for them to get around. And then on the other hand, you have complete blindness where there's absolutely no vision at all. You know how grateful we should be for the favors of Allah when He makes you perfect. Yeah. But Alhamdulillah, Allah Alam, He knows why He gives different conditions to different people. Uh, Abdul Jamal says, Assalamu alaikum. Does a sleep position affect eye pressure? Good question. Does what vision? Does the sleep position affect oh, eye pressure? Sleep position. Um, well, not really, unless you're sleeping with your head lower than your body. So usually in the, in, if we're lying in the normal sleeping position, which is usually on the supine on the back or on the sides, that shouldn't really affect the pressure of the eye. Uh, but if you lie in a position where your head becomes lower than the rest of your body, then that can cause the pressure in the eye to go up. So, for example, when we have patients with glaucoma who have raised pressure, they, they are not advised to do certain exercises like standing on the heads or doing things where they, you know, where they put themselves in positions where the head becomes lower than the rest of the body because that can cause pressurized in the eye. So that's about the only thing at the position I can think of that affects the pressure in the eye. Zakala for that talk. I mean, Abhen says, Assalamu alaikum. I like show. Okay. Well, we like it too, I mean, Abhen. She says, can prescription glasses help repair eye vision? Doctor? Prescription glasses. It uh, helps uh, repair uh, eye vision, prescription glasses. No, so when you have a refractive error or you, you need glasses, then obviously the when you have the right prescription, it can improve the vision, but it doesn't. If you take the glasses off, the vision is not going to improve from wearing the glasses themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the, 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 the prescription will improve the vision when you're wearing it, but the minute you take it off, the vision is not going to improve by itself because you wore the glasses. There are certain conditions, though, where certain contact lenses can be used to, to restore vision. Um, this, this, this practice is called autokeratology, where uh, people are given sort of a, a type of contact lens to wear which actually reshapes the cornea temporarily. So they'd wear it at, uh, um, at night, for example, and then when they get up in the morning, then the vision is fine for a certain number of hours and it starts wearing off, and then the vision starts reducing again. And then they have to put the contact lens in again to reshape the surface of the eye. So that's the only um, prescription that I know of with a contact lens that can actually restore the vision. But generally, when somebody has a refractive area and they wear glasses, 
that doesn't actually restore the vision because it just only helps when you're actually wearing the glasses. The minute the glasses are taken off, the vision goes back to what it was. I tell you, uh, Doctor, some very powerful questions coming through this evening. I'm wondering whether if you told your class uh, or your, the class that you lecture to, to send in questions this, uh, this evening. Did you do that, Doc? No, actually, there are quite a few technical and medical questions coming through. Your audience must be have some medical background or something, I think. I thought I thought you were doing that in Cape Town because I sent <laughs> no, you your composite. No, no, no. You gave it, a, you put it on the Zoom, and the whole of no, your, no. the UCT, yeah, I mean, they're sending no, it all here, no. but I'm enjoying it. And it's also a challenge for me here, Doc. Uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, I'm your assistant now this evening, you know, you're doing the consultation. Uh, this one is from Imran. He says, Assalamu alaikum. Why do blind eye turn white? That's a good question. Why do blind eyes turn white, Doc? Okay, so there are two reasons. Um, number one is a cataract. That's probably the most common cause. So behind the color part of the eye, which is the iris, and the most common color is probably brown in our population. But I mean, it can be blue or green or gray, different colors. So behind that is the lens. The lens is usually clear. So when you look at the eye and you look at the pupil, it appears black in the middle. So when the lens becomes opaque and becomes cataract, that can change to a white color. So where the eye, the, uh, the behind the colored part of the eye, in the pupil area, can appear white. Um, and that is uh, the most common cause of blindness. Then the other cause would be when the cornea itself turns white. So this is the clear part in front of the color part of the eye or the iris is the cornea. And the cornea is usually clear and transparent. But when the cornea becomes diseased or it's been injured or there's trauma that's taken place, then the cornea can become scarred and also turn a white color. In that situation, the eye can also be blind because of damage to the cornea. Fortunately, both these conditions can be corrected with surgery. In the case of a cataract, the cataract can be removed and the vision restored because the, the, the opaque area of the, of the lens has been removed. And in the case of a cornea, this can be corrected with a corneal transplant where the disease cornea is removed and some donor cornea is uh, sutured in place of the disease cornea. And in both situations, fortunately, vision can be restored. Uh Question from Kassim. He says, "I'm 78 years old, listening to you the uh, to you this evening, uh, Doctor Nagib, and I'm getting pressure." And he says, "What can I do at home to reduce eye pressure?" I you tell Kassim not to get pressure, Doc. Yeah, so pressure in the eye can be uh, no, can be reduced with uh, certain uh, herbal things. I'm not really prescribing as it should be done, but uh, it's been shown that uh, pressure in the eye, obviously if you have pressure in the eye, it to be treated by the ophthalmologist and there's certain medications that we will use to reduce the pressure. But there are certain herbs as well that can be taken. One of them is ginkgo biloba. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but ginkgo is, uh, has been shown to reduce pressure in the eye. Paracetamol has also been shown to do it. And... Uh, um, yeah, not to, I'm not describing this, but marijuana has also been shown to reduce pressure in the eye. So there are mm. certain things that can be taken without uh, prescription that can reduce pressure in the eye. Well, but, yeah, if somebody, uh, but, but if somebody has pressure, they should see an ophthalmologist and it should be treated the, the proper medical way. Well, well said there, Doctor. And uh, looking at uh, this question from Javed, he says, Assalamu alaikum. Can blindness be cured? And uh, Doctor, what is the cost factor? I believe it's exorbitant. Okay, uh, how do you respond to Java there, Doc? Okay, that's a very broad question. Blindness can be caused by many different things. Certain types of blindness are irreversible, and other types are reversible. 
So it depends on what the cause of blindness is. Um, as I alluded to earlier, certain causes like cataracts and corneal opacities, these can be reversed with surgery. And other things like where there's permanent damage to the optic nerve, unfortunately, this can't be reversed because the nerve is an extension of the brain, and once the nerve has been damaged, it doesn't regenerate, unlike the peripheral nervous system, where damage to the nerves can uh, be regenerated. But when the optic nerve is damaged, it's, unfortunately, the vision loss caused by that is permanent. Also, most uh, forms of retinal damage as well, uh, where the retina has been permanently scarred or, or affected. In most of those cases, vision can't be restored. Um, so, yeah, so the answer would be it depends on the type of blindness. There are certain types that can be reversed and the other types that are irreversible. Uh, Prof, you know, looking at uh, the artificial intelligence and uh, the, the new uh, revolution that is there in technology yeah. and also it's helping in all fields, how has your field of ophthalmology improved uh, with the AI intelligence, uh, Doc? Yeah. So AI is obviously a big um, a big uh, thing in the, in, in the medical profession at the moment. So AI has been used in ophthalmology as well. Um, it's mainly been used uh, for in the screening for certain diseases like um, diabetes. Um, I've obviously mentioned diabetes a lot this evening, but diabetes is the third cause, the third uh, commonest cause of blindness in our country. The number two cause is glaucoma and number one is cataract. So screening for diabetes and glaucoma can be done with artificial intelligence. So what, what, what happens is that the patient will go to for screening either at the pharmacist or at the optometrist, Photos will be taken of the back of the eye, and then the artificial intelligence will actually screen the photograph and recommend whether the person needs to go and see an ophthalmologist or not. Um, there's also programs for retinal degeneration. So in, in the in the high-income countries, the third commonest cause of blindness is uh, uh, macular degeneration, not diabetes. In, our, in the lower-income countries, diabetes would be third on the list. So in, for those conditions, uh, AI can be used for screening. Um, and then the other thing is, coming back to the question about blindness, there are certain retinal conditions that um, artificial intelligence can be used to improve the vision. I mean, there are uh, what is called the these, um, retinal um, prostheses or uh, the, the August prosthesis where artificial intelligence is used uh, also with, where signals are generated uh, using this um, uh, software and, and uh, implants to the brain and then this can be interpreted with the aid of artificial intelligence to provide some sort of uh, rudimentary form of vision. Well, you know, in the Quran, Allah said that created you to different tribes and nations so that you may recognize each other. Well, I want to, Doc, did you recognize which nation or which tribe or which type of people have the best eyesight, you know, where they do not succumb to all these other ailments or, you know, a poor vision. Is it Chinese? Yes. Is it the Arab? Yeah, is it yeah. Afghani? Yeah, Who well, is it, Doc? Interesting question. It's a very interesting question because they are different. We find different uh, eye conditions affect uh, people in different parts of the world. So, for one, uh, China and Far East Asia, Japan, they suffer a lot with myopia, with short sightedness. So, it's a very common problem in that part of the world, and the type of the different types of glaucoma, they also suffer from a specific type of glaucoma. So, yeah, I wouldn't... I think there are quite a few eye diseases that are common in that part of the world, 
And then if you go to places that have lots of snow, like um, Alaska and Siberia, then there's specific diseases that affect the eye in that condition, in those conditions. So uh, I'm trying to think which, to answer your question, which group of people, which tribes have the best vision, and that's um, actually I haven't really thought about it, but they are, I know, amongst Caucasian people or white people, they start, they tend to, to get lots of uh, problems with degeneration of the retina, retinal detachments. Whereas people with lots of pigments, um, black people, they don't suffer from those conditions. Um, yeah, so I think every, every, every group or every type of people that you look at in the world, they have different, um, the eyes are susceptible to different diseases. And I haven't really come across a group that doesn't suffer from, you know, that they have eyes that are really good. Actually, I should really maybe look that up and see. That's an interesting question to find out which which people have the strongest eyes. Mm. Good question. You stopped me, but that one. And I tell you, I got you stumped. And I, that was a bowl that, uh, uh, what was the speed there, Lucala? Yeah, I reckon <laughs> 300 kilometers an hour. Uh, good question. Uh, actually, I'll have to look into that and get back to you. But uh, I know it's a different people suffer from different, uh, uh, you know, susceptibilities and the eyes are susceptible to different uh, eye diseases. But I actually haven't thought about who has the least and who has the strongest eyes. Good question. Oh, yes, I, I was thinking about the Afghanis, you know, the only nation to not to be conquered by anyone. The uh, oh, British yeah. went there, they were, ran away with a tail between their legs, and then you got the uh, Russians came and they were yeah. uh, left, and America left two days ago. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't yeah, know even they the, the commander did know that they had left the base. Mm. Only two hours mm. later, got to, hey. Hey, we gone, we gone from here. So, Doc, you were, you know, you were absolutely brilliant. I enjoyed you. You were so comfortable. Why don't you come more often and join me on on, on medical files, Doc? <laughs> Inshallah, if I can find the time, I'll, I'm happy to join you. But uh, it's been nice uh, answering your questions. But I must say, your your audience had lots of technical questions this time. Eh? They, they must have been doing some reading up. You know what happens? Uh, we, we we advertise the show, and uh, we we get the uh, questions coming through, and uh, they they line up, and uh, then uh, once the show is live, and then more or more coming. And uh, as we say, we are very privileged that we have listeners from around the country and from also around the world. And then your your program goes onto a podcast, and anyone can call it up at any time around the world. Doctor, you were absolutely brilliant. Your parting words uh, this evening. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate uh, the, uh, the opportunity to be of some assistance, I hope. And, yeah, and uh, thank you for, for having me, and uh, I hope that I was able to add some light and some um, to make people better understand the problems with the eye. I tell you, you definitely did that, uh, Doc, and we also eye-to-eye this evening. We had a yeah, 2020 vision, and then we went six by six also, Dr. I learned a lot from you. Thank you very much. Blessed evening ahead. Inshallah, talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, people, time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and when we get back, uh, pertinence uh, punctuated will be joining us.